You're being recorded now. You can go ahead and start playing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm always being recorded, Lord. <laughs> Jesus, help. Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for today's reading, Father, uh, August 23rd. It's a joy to, to read your word, Lord, and and uh, bless it, Lord, and let uh, let reveal stuff that you want us to know about today, Lord. And just give us grace and mercy and more of Jesus in the word, Father God. We bless this word, Lord, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you like to start reading first, baby? Sure. Everything's, would you like to, Anna? <laughs> sure. Okay, Lord. Uh, Job chapter 8, verse 1 to eleven twenty, please. Then Bildad and Shunite replied to Job, How long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what's right? Your children must have sinned against him. So their punishment was well deserved. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you're pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. And though you started with little, you will end with much. Just ask the previous generation to pay attention to the experience. For we were born but yesterday and know nothing. <clears throat> Our days on earth are as fleeting as a shadow. But those who came before us will teach you. They will teach you the wisdom of old. Campaparus reeds grow tall without a marsh. Can marsh grass flourish without water? While they're still flowering, not ready to be cut, they begin to wither more quickly than grass. The same happens to all who forget God. The hopes of the godless evaporate. Their confidence hangs by a thread. They are leaning on a spider's web. They cling to their home for security, but it won't last. They try to hold it tight, but it won't endure. But it will not endure. The godless seem like a, a lush plant growing in the sunshine. Its branches spreading across the garden. Its, root, its roots grow down through a pile of stones. It takes hold on a bed of rocks. But when it's uprooted, it, it's as though it never existed. That's the end of its life. And others spring up from the earth to replace it. But look, God will not reject a person of integrity, nor will he lend a hand to the wicked. He will once again fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Those who hate you will be clothed for shame, and the home of the wicked will be destroyed. Then Job spoke again. Yes, I know all this is true in principle, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? 
For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place, and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise, and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the southern sky. He does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. Yet if he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves by, I do not see him go. If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing? And God does not restrain his anger. Even the monsters of the sea are crushed beneath his feet. So who am I that I should try to answer God? Or even reason with him. But even if I were right, I would have no defense. I could only plead for mercy. And even if I summoned him and he responded, I'm not sure he would listen to me, for he attacks me with a storm and repeatedly wounds me without cause. He will not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrows. If it's a question of strength, he, the strong one, he's the strong one. If it's a matter of justice, who dares to summon him to court? Though I'm innocent, my own mouth would pronounce me guilty. Though I'm blameless, it would prove me wicked. I am innocent, but it makes no difference to me. I despise my life. Innocent or wicked, it's all the same to God. That's why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a plague sweeps through, he laughs at the death of the innocent. The whole earth is in the hands of the wicked, and God blinds the eyes of the judges if he's not the one who does it. Who? Who is? My life passes more swiftly than a runner. It flees away without a glimpse of happiness. It disappears like a swift papyrus boat, like an eagle swooping down on its prey. If I decided to forget my complaints, to put away my sad face and be cheerful, I would still dread all the pain. For I know you will not find me innocent, O God. Whatever happens, I will be found guilty, so what's the use trying? Even if I were to wash myself with soap and clean my hands with lye, you would plunge me into a muddy ditch and my own filthy clothing would hate me. God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a meteor between us, someone who could bring us together. The meteor, mediator could stop, could make God stop beating me. And I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. I'm disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you are bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me the work of your own hands while smiling on the schemes of the wicked? Are your eyes like those of a human? Do you see things only as people see them? Is your lifetime only as long as ours? Is your life so short 
that you must quickly probe for my guilt and search for my sin. Although you know I am not guilty, no one can rescue me from your hands. You formed me with your hands, you made me, yet now you completely destroy me. Remember that you made me from dust. Will you turn me back to dust so soon? You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. You clothed me in the skin, with skin and flesh, and you knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Yet your real motive, your true intent, was to watch me, and if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. If I'm guilty, too bad for me, and even if I'm innocent, I can't hold my head high, because I'm filled with shame and misery. And if I hold my head high, you hunt me like a lion, and display your awesome power against me. Again and again, your witness against me, you pour out your growing anger on me and bring fresh armies against me. Why then did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? It would be as though I had never existed. Going directly from the womb to the grave, I have only a few days left, so leave me alone, that I may have a moment of comfort before I leave never to return. For the land of darkness and utter gloom, it, it is a land as dark as midnight, a land of gloom and confusion where the, even the light is dark as midnight. Then Zophar and the Namathite replied to Job, Shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? Is a person proved innocent just by a lot of talking? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? You claim my beliefs are pure, and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak, if only he would tell you what he thinks. If only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It is deeper than the underworld. What do you know? Is it broader than the earth? and wider than the sea? If God comes and puts a person in prison or calls the court to order, who can stop him? For he knows those who are false, and he takes note of all their sins. An empty-headed person won't, won't become wise, any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. If only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sins and leave all inequity behind you, then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage. You will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid and many will look to you for help. But the wicked will be blinded. They will have no escape. Their only hope is in death. Amen. Okay, wow, a long couple chapters. Amen. And what did you get out of it? Um, amazing. Huh? Wow, amazing from the beginning how his friends just said, well, you know, in the beginning where it says, um, the very beginning, number three, eight, three, it says, 
does the Almighty twist what is right and is assuming that your children must have sinned against him so their punishment is well deserved it's like wow how how in, in, uncompassionate can you be to assume that and to tell that person that's their children that got taken and now you tell them oh there must be sin that's why that happened I just feel like sometimes that's what we hear what people assume if something there's a problem in somebody's life that it's sin related so, Amen and the uh, today's study is to be between Job 9 20 and 21 it says Job knew that God didn't owe him anything Job was alive by the grace of God even if he was suffering Job also believed that he had not sinned right. in a way to deserve such suffering. Job didn't think his life warranted such suffering, so he wanted his case presented before God, Job 9, 32 and 35. He recognized, however, that arguing with God would be futile and unproductive, Job 9, 4. Job knew that in bringing his case against God, he would only sin by falsely accusing God. Though I am innocent, my own mouth would pronounce me guilty. When we face hardships, when big or small, we can become indignant, believing that we did nothing to deserve them. Job's attitude can guide us here. We must be careful to avoid accusing God or believing we're right and he's wrong. God is always right, even if we, don't, we can't understand our own circumstances. God is always right, period. Like Job, we must live in the fear of the Lord, that wisdom will keep us from sinning, that wisdom will cultivate humility for the times when God's ways don't make sense. You know, um, it reminds me that God is a just God, and, uh -huh. and He said He will never leave us nor forsake us, yes. and the Bible says He will not lie. And um, right. so He's given us... Uh, tools or antidotes when we're perplexed. When we're perplexed, we're to say, thank you, God, I'm perplexed. Thank you, God, for the situation. And we don't try to solve the situation with our own scrutiny, but but wait upon God and get his twist on it, his counsel. The counsel of the Lord is a skill. Um, only by his grace we're here, and we don't deserve anything. That's why we thank him. And by thanking him, situations will change. You know, it just it just is a good, like, I don't know that it's a good idea to live in the book of Job, you know, for people to really, well, Job did this, you know, Job did that, you know. A lot of people have reference in the book of Job. I don't know that I want to stay here because Job did not have a good opinion of God. You know, yes, he, he didn't feel he deserved it. But it, he, the way he demonstrated was like an angry God. Even well, though he his didn't. Friends did, his friends did. His friends were the ones that said, Your children have sinned. Yeah, but over here, where it says, and Job speaks up. Yeah. You know, he, he, I mean, he understands that God is God, and how can you bring a case before him? But at the same time, he's like, Well, he does all these things, and, you know, he's anger, and just for, to me, portrayed him like an angry God. Mm. Uh, but then. I really like over here where we did see a symbol of Jesus here where in number 35, 33, it says, If only there were a mediator between us, 
someone who could bring us together, the mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Wow, beautiful. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that on my own strength. So this is Jesus all the way around. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. Um, and, and that is just, you know, that's the one area that I found Jesus through all the complaining. And I think that as we, as people read this book, you know, it's like, like you said, you know, instead of complaining about your circumstances and acting like you don't deserve it, praise the Lord for your situation because you know he's a mighty God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He doesn't leave you alone. He didn't cause that to come upon, you know, you know, he didn't strike you with, with an illness, you know, the way people uh, say that illness is a lesson or whatever. So we really have to um, see God, have a good opinion of God, but yet when you go through a trial, learn to, to you know, use his word to help you out of yourself. You know, because something, there's a blessing always, because we know what, the, what happens to Job, he gets restored. There is a blessing, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I really like that one little area. Um, and I, just a good good example of how, what does it help to complain, you know? And, and I just like over here, I don't know who said it, maybe it was his friend or something. Yeah, maybe it was Zophar and Namathite, number 19 or 18. Having hope will give you courage. Mm. Okay, having hope will give you courage to to you know there's uh, there is hope you know thank God for our new covenant New Testament covenant that we have hope against hope even though we go through a trial or you know a circumstance. Um, Amen. So I really like that. So, anyways, I did get something out of it. Lord, thank you very much. Amen. Your turn. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 28. Mm-hmm. Let me, Paul, now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You walk in it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what have, had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And on the third day, just as the scripture says, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. At one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he, he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results, for I have worked harder than any of other the apostles yet it was not i but god who was working through me by his grace so it makes no difference whether i preach or they preach for we all preach the same message you have already believed but tell me this since we preach that christ rose from the dead 
Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles will all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, and that can be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christians are not being raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then you then your faith is unless useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone died because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God, the Father having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last scripture says, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself. God gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will be put, put himself under God's authority, so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything else. Amen. Amen. Wow. It really goes extensive into the resurrection. Yeah, here the uh, today's study, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty three says, The bodily resurrection of Christ is the center of the Christian faith. In the Jewish faith, the first part of the harvest was brought to the temple as an offering, Leviticus 23.10. In the same way, Christ was the first to rise from the dead and never to die again. He is our forerunner, the guarantee of our eventual resurrection to eternal life. In the resurrection Christ, we see an example of what our resurrection life will be like in both body and spirit. Most Greeks did not believe the apostles' bodies would be resurrected after death, according to Greek philosophy. The souls was the real person imprisoned in a physical body, and at death the son, the soul was released. They saw the afterlife as something that hap- happened only to the soul. By contrast, Christianity affirms that the body and soul will be united after resurrection. The church at Corinth was in the heart of Greek culture. Thus, many believers had a difficult time believing in a bodily resurrection. Do you think of eternal life as only a spiritual experience? That is not all there is. It it will also include new physical bodies and a new creation. Amen. Amen. Wow, just really, like when he goes into this, he says... If 
we, if Christ, if, if people don't understand the resurrection and they say there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised and we're all still guilty of our sins. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <coughs> everyone who died believing in Christ are still lost. So, he really nails that point home. And I like the way they say he's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Amen. And he explains it, you know, after the end, he says, Christ was raised as a, the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. There it says it again, that the dead shall rise, right? Mm -hmm. After the end will come when he will return the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. It says, for Christ must reign until he humbles, you know, Psalm 110, and gets all the enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to dis be destroyed is death. Amen. Amen. Pray the song, Prayer for those who feel abandoned by friends and family. Ask God to draw near to them and encourage them. Psalms 38, 1-22 O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Your arrows have struck deep and your blows are crushing me. Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. This psalm, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. It is burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long, I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me. And my health is broken. I am exalted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every heart beat wildly. My strength fails. I am going blind. I am going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. Meanwhile, my enemies lay traps to kill me. Those who wish me harm make plans to ruin me. All day long, they plan their treasury. But I am deaf to all their threats. I am silent before them as one who cannot speak. I choose to hear nothing, and I make no reply. For I am waiting for you, O Lord. I am waiting for you. You must answer me, for, O Lord my God, I pray, don't let my enemies gloat over me or rejoice in my downfall. I am in the verge of collapse, facing constant pain, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorrowful for what I have done. I have many aggressive enemies. They hate me without reason. They repay me evil for good and oppose me for pursuing good. Do not abandon me, O Lord. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. Amen. Proverbs 21 and 28 to 29. A false, false witness will be cut off, but a credible witness will be allowed to speak. The wicked bluff their way through, but the virtuous think before they act. Amen, amen and amen. Amen. All right, we did it. Praise God for the reading of his word. Something happened in the recording. No. Reading from the book 
of 1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by blood and water. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is true. Let me read that again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is not sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has has given us understanding, that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Now we're reading from chapter 4 of 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. 
You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this is the love of God, was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the appropriation for our sins. Beloved, if God so love us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this, <coughs> and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Amen.